The following sermon was preached on July 25th, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America, located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Dr. Todd Bookner, pastor of Reedville Presbyterian Church, preached this sermon entitled Captured by His Majesty, Part 1, on Psalm 8. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. It's a pleasure to be here, here with you this evening on, and to close out this Lord's Day with people of like mind. It's also exciting because I kind of, I've preached at this point probably a thousand sermons or more over, what, uh, 19 years now in ministry. It's my first time ever preaching in front of Dr. Piper, so it's nice to have some butterflies again uh, to be a little excited. I feel like I'm giving my senior sermon here. Uh, 20 years into my ministry, so, but it's a pleasure to be with you uh, this evening, and I thank you, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity uh, to share God's Word with you. We're going to take a closer look this evening at Psalm 8, and uh, actually I was granted the permission to divide this into two parts. I'll be back next week. I'll, tell, I'll be able to tell how I did this week by your attendance next week, so we're going to divide it into two parts, and uh, so know that this evening you're not getting the entirety of the, the text, but you are getting, I think, a good taste of what's in it. I've enjoyed the study of this psalm, um, and I hope that God blesses it as well. As is my custom, if you don't mind, I'm going to pray once again before uh, I share God's word with you and exegete it. And so would you pray with me? Our Father and our God, again, we thank you for this time together, and we thank you for your words, the words of life, Lord. And we pray again that you would bless this time. We've come this evening to see Christ. Pardon the one who speaks, for his sins, Lord, are many. Thank you for using broken people like me. I pray that we would bring glory and honor to you through it and in it. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you. There's a crisis occurring in the lives of many today, a crisis that has even breached the church at large. The crisis, I would argue today, is one of identity. People no longer know who they are. They no longer understand who and what they were created to be. They no longer know why they're here. I don't know if your pastor shared with you this morning, but one of the most staggering stats that we received yesterday in Presbytery was a report of what has occurred in Spartanburg County the last 25 days. Now, I don't have them accurate. They're on my phone, and I left my phone in the car, but one of the stats that I'm most attuned to is the fact that we at Spartanburg County has experienced 21 suicides over the last 25 days. 21 suicides over the past 25 days. There's been 10 shootings. There's been seven deaths, other deaths. There's been 23, if I recall correctly, overdoses that have led to death as well, the death of the individual. There's been a huge amount of suffering and pain experienced in Spartanburg County the last 25 days. I would argue it's 
perhaps partially as a result of people forgetting who they are. The crisis that we see today in our culture of wondering why we're here, what we're all about. This question plagues and haunts a multitude of people. Now, you might be thinking in your, to yourself and reasoning, Pastor Todd, that's nothing new. Man has wrestled with that question since the beginning of time. Who am I? What am I? And why am I here? But I would argue that the question has shifted from one over decades past, from one in which we've wondered and considered the significance of man to the worth of man to perhaps the self-esteem of man back to a foundational question of true identity and reason. We're back to the brass roots, if you will, of the discussion. If you don't believe me, we live in a world that seems a culture that's sin-bent. Sin our culture is sin-bent for sure. Men desiring to be women. Women desiring to be men. Even at the cost of their own anatomy. We truly are a sinful culture in which there is a true identity crisis. And I would, I would also argue or present to you this evening that that has led and polluted even the church and has caused perhaps a pseudo-Christianity to emerge that's just as popular in this culture bent towards sin. We see the church bending her knee to the self-identification of individuals. People identifying themselves by their own personal sin instead of who they profess to have become in the work of Jesus Christ. We truly are a culture that has an identity crisis. And it truly has led to the church wrestling with questions it should never even consider, in my opinion. But that's the state of affairs. The pseudo-Christianity let me suggest the big idea of it all is to accommodate the current culture of sin. Because ours, as I said, truly appears to be sin-bent. And namely, towards self-identification. Bent toward permitting and even assisting individuals to self-identify. And not just their sexual preference their gender, but also to identify within themselves marriage, the family, and as I've said, even the church. We should be concerned. We should definitely take heed and pay attention. Our culture is one bent towards the sin of self-identification. There exists in our land a real identity crisis. Psalm 8 addresses this very issue of identity. Who man is, what he is. Now the hymn, as we've seen and read, is, is pretty straightforward, is it not? It has four obvious parts which describes man and his place uh, in the created order. Well, it reveals to us, I think, our greatest purpose for being. This evening, I would like for you to note with me a couple of these, but I'll give you all four tonight so you have them. 
that we see in verses 1 through 2, the suppressing, uh, surpassing, excuse me, surpassing, it's not suppressing, surpassing majesty of God. In verses 1 through 2, we have the surpassing majesty of God proper, if you will. In verses 3 through 4, often looked at and viewed through the lens of the insignificance of man, I would propose to you that we look at it through the lens of the surpassing majesty of God in creation. The surpassing majesty of God in creation. Verses 5 through 8, often viewed as the significance of man. I offer to you this evening that we look at it through the lens of the surpassing majesty of God and man redeemed. And man redeemed. And fourth and finally, as we will see here shortly, we close again yet with the surpassing majesty of God. The essential truths that I'll labor by God's grace to show you in this text over this week and next are these and and the three in part, I know you're not used to that, but the essential truths that I hope to set forth as we look at our outline and, and, and pull apart this text. I want us to see and I want you to remember these three things. God's word alone unravels the mystery of man. God's word alone unravels the mystery of man. Secondly, I want you to Burn in your, in your minds and in your hearts. Man redeemed in Christ is God's greatest instrument of praise. Man redeemed in Christ is God's greatest instrument of praise. Third and finally, understanding who and what you are all depends on your relationship to Jesus Christ. Understanding who you are, who you were created to be, depends wholly upon your personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the Son of Man and the Son of God. The hope is this, is that we would understand that by trusting in the God-man, we may know for certain who we are and experience the fulfillment of God's purpose and promises in our life to the fullest. Amen? By trusting in God, the God-man, you and I may know for certain, beyond a shadow of a doubt, who we are and experience to the fullest His blessing, His promises for us as men and women. Let's unpack this. Like I said, this evening we'll just begin and next week I hope to get into it even more. But th that's my hope that I'm going to uh, share with you this morning. Look at it with me. And note first, the surpassing majesty of God proper as I've called it. We see this in verses 1 and 9. You see it clearly. Look at it again. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And it closes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. 
I want you to note something, and this is kind of a sidebar and uh, perhaps uh, not well received. And, and I'm one of those individuals that when he speaks, everybody thinks he's angry. I don't quite get that. Uh, when I talk to people, people, that guy's angry, and I'm not. Uh, I stand before you this evening heartbroken. Uh, my hope truly has been set before you. I've labored diligently in the text. I'm not angry. So don't walk away and go, boy, that guy's rough. I know I sound like a thug out of Brooklyn, and, but I'm not. I'm not. I'm the son of steelworking, coal mining, blue-collar people from Western PA, and this is how we all sound. And I'm going to tell you something about those people. They have the biggest hearts in the world. They grumble, they mumble, they stumble, and they're big and burly and even a little rough. But I'm going to tell you this, they have huge hearts. So know, know that what I'm giving you and exhorting you and calling you to comes from a good place. Uh, that has been made aware to me recently. Uh, it does uh, bother me uh, that I'm perceived that way. So I share that with you because I consider this part of my church family uh, as well as serving on the session and other things. But I don't want us to lose track. So don't think I'm angry with you, uh, although I can get louder than I am now. Uh, listen to God's word to you as the Spirit applies it. And as we look in verses 1 and 2, we see clearly the surpassing majesty of God proper. Now, I love what David does here. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes, O Lord, our Lord. Now, I want you to understand, I told you that about myself for this reason. I want you to realize that when David penned this psalm, he didn't go, Oh Lord, my Lord, ho hum, uh uh. Like we tend to recite from our creeds and confessions, like we tend to recite the Lord's Prayer at times or the Apostle Creed, we go through the motions, we go through the experience. It's mechanical, there's no heart within it. I want you to know that when David cried out, we see David in complete awe here of the majesty of God. That David stood broken before his creator and sustainer, his God, his covenant Lord, according to all the capital letters in the first Lord, right? Yahweh. And I'm not going to go into that, but here is David crying to his Lord and just undone by his majesty, his glory, his power, his beauty. David's awestruck, and he's almost all done. And as Psalm 8 begins here with this, with this celebration of the surpassing glory of God, it calls our attention to the idea that this God of David is the God, the covenant Lord, the creator and sustainer of all things. It begins here with these two great names. And I, I like what Calvin does. Calvin says, David doesn't get bogged down in the names here. He just wants to establish quickly the idea that this is, this is David's God. That this God of the universe, this is David's. He's not getting down on the text being pointed, the Jews not pronouncing these, these letters. He's not getting bogged. David's saying, matter-of-factly, the covenant Lord, the great I Am, that's my God. And His majesty all but undoes me. I love that. And I think the lesson is well there. You see, when we see this, 
as being presented as the God who says, I am. It is really the uh, explication, really, of everything, everything God actually is, of what God is. He's saying he's wondrous and magnificent in all that he is. He's creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He's eternal, infinite, unchangeable in his power and in his perfection, in his goodness, in his glory, in his wisdom, justice, and truth. And it ignores, if you will, all the reaction of those would-be naysayers of the one true God. It states clearly, clearly that this God is the everlasting, majestic one and only one. And really what we have here is a king who bows down before the majesty of God, don't we? This is a king who points forward to the one true king, the king of kings and lord of lords. And he's referred to or revealed to us here in this psalm as we've seen clearly in Hebrews chapter 2 and we'll see in other passages as well. Now this serves to me and I hope to you and a help. It serves to me as a reminder of something fundamentally important to our identity and purpose. Whenever we come to the question of who we are, whenever we come to the question of our identity and purpose, we must begin by defining ourselves or seeking to have ourselves defined by looking up. David begins, doesn't he, by looking up. By beholding the majesty and beauty of God. He's establishing the surpassing majesty of God from the very beginning. And additionally, he concludes the psalm, as I've seen, uh, said, and David places men and women exactly where he wants them to be, on their knees, looking up. You want to know who you are? Start by looking up. Start by looking up and behold the majesty. Be consumed. Be filled with the majesty of God, the one true God, our covenant Lord, the creator and sustainer of all things. Behold His majesty. You doubt who you are? You wonder what you should be? Look up. Start by looking up. Secondly, by causing us to look up, I think David places us in a great, in a great place and and other scholars have, have agreed, and not that I'm a scholar, scholars have agreed, and I agree with them. How's that? That this places us where we need to be, not only on our knees looking up, if you will, but it places our identity within a cosmic framework. You see, I would argue with you this evening that the biggest problem we have in our identity is that we think our identity resides within ourselves. I defined who I am. I'm going to tell you who I am. God made a mistake in making me thus. I feel like I'm not this, but I'm that. I don't know why God, your God, so majestic is his name, would do something so cruel to me as make me something I don't think I am or I don't feel that I am. 
David, by asserting immediately in this psalm, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that, that we, as we come to the question of who we are, must immediately fall to the ground and look upward, places us in this cosmic, cosmic framework of things. That your identity is really bigger than you. And see, we struggle with that in our sinful nature, don't we? Your identity is bigger with you, than you. And we think we're the ones that identify who we are. Because we spend too much time, if you will, looking in the mirror. My, I'm getting old. <laughs> I've done that recently. Just turned 52. I have a tendency to look in the mirror and go, yeah, you could stand to lose a couple, Todd. Right? Or whatever happened to that 22-year-old? Who am I? Ladies, oh, oh my, look at me. I'm a mess, I'm ugly, I'm this, I'm that. We are always continuously identifying ourselves. And brothers and sisters, I'm here to warn you, stop doing that. That has led to a self-identification that has led many, I would argue, to the pit of hell. And have brought them to even question their very birth. Their very gender. The very way in which this God, the majestic God, knitted them and fitted them in their mother's womb. Stop self-identifying. David does a great job of forcing us to our knees and making us look up that we might indeed be captured by the majesty of God and be able to see ourselves more clearly. Be able to identify ourselves as who we are. You'll see, and I'll say this again, all good theology starts in the book of beginnings. All good theology starts in the first three chapters of Genesis. It doesn't stop there. I'm not saying that or suggesting that. And I'm sure I'm not the first one to come up with that idea, but I've always claimed that I kind of found that on my own, and I'm sure I didn't. But all good theology starts in Genesis. The book of beginnings, where we see God magnificent in all his majesty and glory and what he does to reveal that glory by creating people like us. Wow. So when you seek to identify yourself, please, please fall to your knees. Look up. Look up. What David does here is he shows us clearly that we're not the center of the universe. That hurts today in today's world. Everybody's the center of their own world, huh? They're identified by their Facebook page, their Instagram. How many likes did I get? I had a contest. I don't know if I should share this or not. It might end up Presbyterian. I don't know. I had a contest with my family. They were on Facebook. They're still on Facebook. I'm glad my wife is. I get to see covenant children that I baptize, how they're growing up, how they're serving. I do get to, there is good things about Facebook. But I said to my wife, when I started Facebook, they said, Dad, what do you, what do you, got, what do you have Facebook for? Shannon was like, what do you want Facebook for? I said, listen, when I get a thousand friends, I'm quitting. So I'm going to show you how ridiculous this is. When I get a thousand friends, I'm quitting. I, say, I shut Facebook off with 1,300 friends. Didn't ask to be any one person's friend. And she says, 
why are you doing that? My kids said, why do you do that? Dad? I said, listen, Facebook doesn't define who I am. How many friends I have, how many likes I get, how many thumbs up to what you're having for supper. Really, people? Really? Listen, the only people in the world that like my cooking are people in the virtual world on Facebook. I can't cook, but I can post a picture, and the next thing you're going to do is like it. And I identify myself by that. Stop. Stop. There's an identity crisis. View yourself through the lens of Scripture, which asserts from its very beginnings, as I've alluded to, that we're God's creatures, His creation. And we have special responsibilities to our Creator. Who are you? I think we see in the first verse and the last verse that we are a people who indeed have been created by one much more majestic than we are and that that God is the God of the universe and I'm responsible to Him and Him alone. If you want to identify yourself properly, understand that you are God's creation and you've been created with special responsibilities to your creator. I think that's rather obvious and straightforward from this psalm. And David begins by asserting that, that Yahweh is his God. He's the majestic one. He's captured by the majesty of God. We face a crisis in our world today. And it has indeed polluted the church and has resulted in a pseudo-Christianity of sorts. And I think that we as individuals who trust in God's Word, we need more than ever to reaffirm and reestablish who we are in accordance with His Word. The Bible is the only thing that unravels the mystery of you. And you're mysterious. It's the only thing that will unravel the mystery of you. You're wondering who you are this evening? Begin with this. Fall down. Look up. Beg God to reveal just a small portion of His splendor and glory and majesty to you. You'll begin to see who you are and what you're created to be. A servant of the living God. Behold His majesty. O oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is Your name in all the earth. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.